This Quiercast podcast is brought to you by Ideas Digest. I'm Conrad. And I'm Matt. Each week, two optimistic Aussie blokes explore new (laughs) and challenging ideas outside of our echo chamber on our totally realistic quest to achieve world peace, maybe some personal enlightenment. Is that too much of an oversell? No, just roll the montage. Okay. I'm right and you're wrong. What are you talking about? Straight men enjoy gay sex. What? The Bible is extremely pro-abortion. Why the hell should I trust you now? Don't define me by what I do in bed. Do you think that kick us out? I've done psychedelics 150 times in my life. Do you still choose to ejaculate to that? Oh my God. You can have a wife and a girlfriend. This guy just gets your face. He rubs that in. Break your bias. Each week, anywhere you get your podcast, tune in. It's going to be an amazing time. Amazing. <laughs> Even long weekends are short, so why spend a second of this one on a drink run? Instead, get drinks delivered right to your door with Drizzly. Drizzly is the easiest way to find the best prices on beer, wine, and spirits, so you can get back to lighting those totally legal fireworks. Download the app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Because the long weekend will be over before this ad is. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. Hi, friends. I'm Tim Whitaker, and welcome to the New Evangelicals podcast. The New Evangelicals is an inclusive, Jesus-centered community that holds space for people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and helps you explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. This podcast is part of that work, so join us as we talk to people from all walks of life, lending their expertise and wisdom to us as we renegotiate our faith and find better paths forward. Hi, friends. How are you? Welcome back to another amazing, fantastic, excellent episode of the New Evangelicals podcast. My name is Tim. I'm the host of the show. Welcome in. On this episode, I have Kate Boyd, who wrote the book, An Untidy Faith, Journeying Back to the Joy of Following Jesus. Another fascinating conversation about someone who has been, the word that Kate uses, uh, who has been disentangling their faith for a long time and trying to think about just better ways forward being faithful to Jesus. So we talk about all the good stuff. You know, what? how do we reimagine church? What was her experience like when 2016 happened? How did she grow up? What shaped her? And also, what gave her the motivation to write an entire book? So this is a great episode. Towards the end, we really dig in on, 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 on not dehumanizing people who we find so problematic. And I really appreciated Kate's wisdom on that. So again, Katie, for listening, thank you for making the time. I really appreciate it. That being said, friends, I, as always, 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 thank you so much for listening to the show, for watching the show. If you like the work that we do, you can give us a rating and a review and a, and a subscribe and a like, whatever. Wherever you're watching the podcast or if you're listening to it, help us out. Give us a, a subscribe. It lets people know that that they're not alone as they navigate their uh, their faith journey, hopefully out of the basement of fundamentalism and into the house of the Christian tradition. And as always, we are a nonprofit organization holding space for thousands of people. If you want to be, if you want to be part of that work, you can click on the link in our show notes and you can donate there. All donations are tax deductible. All right, friends, without further ado, here's my interview with Kate Boyd. Hope you enjoy it. All right. Well, uh, Kate Boyd, it is great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for making time and thanks for the work that you do. Oh, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Um, you know, I'm a fan. I've watched um, your community and your work. And so it's really fun to be here and connect. Oh, that's awesome. So I honestly forgot exactly how I discovered you probably on Instagram where someone sent me your link saying, oh my God, you need to have Kate Boyd on the podcast. And I do get a lot of those requests. And you know, at some point you're just like, listen, if I could have everyone on, I would, but you kind of yeah. have to pick and choose. So I saw your work. And I'm like, Ooh, you wrote a book called an untidy faith. I'm like, mm, that tracks for sure. Um, and you know, the, the subtitle or subtext is journeying back to, to the joy of following Jesus. And in a way that's a lot 
lot of what our work is kind of committed to, yes, we obviously are kind of leaving what I call the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. But for the work that we do, I'm still very committed to trying to find better ways of following Jesus that I hope um, you know are more consistent with, with, with what we see in the scriptures and in even the Christian tradition as a whole. So I, I kind of want to start here for you. What is your background that led you to, to writing this book? Did you grow up in evangelical spaces? Give us some of that story. Yeah. So my faith heritage is kind of mixed. Um, I started like a lot of my family was Methodist when we were really young. And then we sort of, my mom and I and our family sort of church hopped for a long time. And then at some point we got um, connected to a Christian school in our town, which was affiliated with the Southern Baptist church. And so then that sort of became the circles that we ran in was, it was um, Southern Baptist or later it was Bible churches. I don't know if y'all have Bible churches where you are, but here in Texas, that's kind of a big deal. Um, cause it's associated with Dallas seminary is like a whole movement of whatever, very teachy, teaching heavy churches. So very, very evangelical. Um, and so that was kind of like the place that forged my faith was, yeah, evangelicalism. And, um, and then after college, and I actually went to Dallas Seminary for a minute after college, um, was really poor <laughs> because we got married. My husband and I got married. And so I was like, I don't want more debt for this. So I'm going to drop out for now. And then ended up through a lot of life circumstances um, working at a Christian missions agency here in the Dallas area where I live um, and actually really enjoyed it. Still believe in a lot of what they do. Mm. Um, but part of my job was marketing. I'm a writer. Um, I was, went to journalism school, ended up in marketing. And part of my job was to go overseas to the places where we worked and capture stories of what was going on on the ground. They were an organic church planting organization. So it was like small house churches that could, um, rapidly multiply or be, um, available within hard to work areas. Um, and so I encountered people on the ground in other places who sort of like lived their faith in a different way than I was used to. Mm. Um, and even though we believed a lot of the same things, there were some different shifts. Um, and so I really just sort of like came back and realized that actually a lot of what I thought was essential to Christianity was actually very cultural. And, um, and how much of my faith had been built on all of these like extras. And um, so, and that was like a decade ago. So I sort of had the luxury of deconstructing without all of the craziness that we see now. Mm. Um, but it was, it was definitely hard because back then we didn't really have like the vocabulary for it. Right. Nobody was talking about deconstruction. Um, nobody like, you know, if you, brought up something else people were it was just like crickets and so it was just really weird it was weird and it was isolating like I even had to make my husband go on a trip with me so that he understood um because even like communicating within that relationship what was going on was really hard and so yeah it sort of just sort of led down this long line of, of different things and then of course the last few years you know we we were in our church for a long time it was a bible church here in the area and Um, we left it within the last, it's been a little over a year, a year and a half ago, um, and found a new church, but yeah, so we've sort of been in this weird space over the last few years of like finding, like, I think a lot of us are a lot of your people too, um, finding a lot of our, um, relationships are tied up in this too, and trying to like hold all of that space. And, and so it does, (laughs) it gets really, really messy, right? Because you're seeing, you're trying to sort of like disen, the term I use for deconstruction is disentangling because I was still really committed to Jesus and still am, but sort of picking out what is Jesus and what is other stuff has been sort of the theme. And so, um, it's been, and even working through that in conversation with others. And so, yeah, it's tricky. It's messy. But, I mean, listen, no doubt um, it was an overseas long, longer term missions trip to uh, Germany, Finland, and then Belgium that really changed my, like you said, awareness of, of mm-hmm. what the church or what the Christian faith could be. And I was still, even after that, pretty firmly seated in evangelical spaces. And then when 
you know, 2016 happened, that was the moment where the way I describe it is like, like the stench that I was kind of faintly smelling throughout those years just became so unbearable that I had to say what's going on in my own tradition. I think a lot of people had that moment and end up, like you said, um, realizing that, oh my gosh, um, friendships are tied up in this and theology is tied up in this and, and which ways up. And I agree with you. I I found this term deconstructing or deconstruction after I started the new evangelicals. I mean, I was still serving at my evangelical church. I'm just like, hey, anyone else like kind of concerned about, I don't know, Sean Foyt doing these massless worship gatherings as a Christian? Yeah. Like, I didn't know what deconstruction was. And you hop online and all of a sudden, boom, oh, you're deconstructing your faith. I have no problem with that term. It's not like an evil term in my lexicon, but I yeah. do feel like it's so broad and it really is more, more of like an explosion that can encompass people going in all different directions. Mm-hmm. I also settled on other other language like disentangling my faith or renegotiating my faith or having a crisis of theology, not a faith, because you're right. For a lot of people, I would argue, I mean, listen, I have no empirical data about this, but at least in my experience, uh, the people that I tend to find really are like, listen, I'm all about like rethinking things, but I just can't let go of this Jesus person. I can't let go of like my own faith tradition ultimately, even though it has all this baggage. So what was that like? I mean, obviously there's a lot here, but for you, what were some of the big ingredients that really made you go, okay, I have to really look hard at my own cultural evangelical heritage and and start renegotiating the faith? Like, what were some of those big ingredients for you? So, I mean, I think a lot of this, which is probably a conversation you have a lot, it comes down to what we would sort of put in, in the justice element, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. overseas, I, I met, you know, a woman um, who like basic essentially got forced out of her job because of choosing Jesus and then, you know, got another one, but found like then started rearranging her life so that she could like have a prayer meeting in her house every week and go visit the sick in the hospital every week and make stuff for these people and go visit these people. And, and I, you know, I asked her why she does all of this because it's not only dangerous for her where she lives, but it's also like, like it, takes a lot of time. It's very hard. And she just like looked at me and said, well, it's what Jesus told me to do. And I was like, oh, okay. That <laughs> that clears that right. up. That tracks. Um, <laughs> you know, and I could tell you like 10 stories just like that one yeah. or of the church, you know, in South Asia where who met this little old man who had been cast by the river by his um, family because they couldn't afford to take care of him anymore because he was sick and he mm. was dying. Um, so the church took him in and took a collection and like got him his medicine. And now he lives at the church um, and is a part of it. And like, he just like looked at me in his with like tears in his eyes and said, this church is everything to mm. me because of this. And so it really just sort of like, I had realized that a lot of my life, I had just sort of like tried to put faith in my life instead of like having a life of faith. Um, but also that there is this, that it's not just about the spirituality of it, right? There are physical dimensions to what we do as Christians, to who we are as Christians, as humans, and that all of that is touched by the gospel. All of that is touched by, um, where the world is going. And so a lot of a lot of things sort of come down to, you know, what the kingdom of God is to me now and what that looks like and how we're bringing it to earth in all of its dimensions and not just the spiritual one and like running away to heaven and just being available to take care of people because that's what Jesus would do, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, totally. So, you know, to, to write a book is no small feat. Uh, it takes a lot yeah. of time. If you go through an agent, you have to get a proposal together. You have to secure a deal with the publisher, then think about how you're going to write it, and then actually start writing it, and then make edits. And hopefully, when when it goes on sale, it sells. I mean, it, it's a big commitment. Uh, mm-hmm. More than just, I would argue, even being on Instagram yelling into a camera about, you know, the problems <laughs> of the evangelical church. Not that I would know anyone who does that, but, you know, I'm just yeah, saying it, mean- it, it, it's, it, it's a big <laughs> commitment, right? So yeah. for you, what what was the... What was the why behind saying, you know what, this book, uh, this book about an untidy faith journeying back to the joy of following Jesus, it just needs to happen and I need to be the one to write this book. What was the why behind it for you? So the book that I actually wanted to write originally um, and the one that I pitched to like get an agent and all of that was sort of got spurred on when the pandemic happened. Mm. And um, I really did not like how people were talking about the nature of church in the pandemic. 
um, as though online church wasn't real or like doing church in your home with your family isn't real. Um, and granted, there are denomination specific ways of looking at that where that can be challenging. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but I just got really frustrated because I was like, what you're saying is that this experience of these thousands of believers that I've met is not real because they don't have a priest or they don't, you know, or it's just their family in their home. Um, and so really it was about reframing what church is more by function than by form. Um, and that's sort of like how it started. <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know, you get the agent and you, and, and the number one thing, right. That they're going to tell you when you want to publish a book is build your platform. Right. And so I spent a couple of years doing that and just like really realized that the people around me needed something else. Like we mm. weren't even there to like, we're just kind of trying to figure out where the heck we are and what we're doing and where we go from here. And, um, and so as I sort of like looked at the people who had sort of gathered into this community, whether it was Instagram or email or Twitter or wherever, I realized that there was something else that we needed to be talking about. Mm. And so, um, because all of us were really in this, we weren't in the space where we wanted to discard everything completely, but we were and are reckoning with what that looks like. And especially in our own church experiences and even dealing with some of those painful church experiences that a lot of people in my audience have dealt with too. And so how do we reimagine faith that way? And then how do we reimagine what it looks like to be together, um, to find that joy in following Jesus again, instead of just this like anger, um, which is totally valid. Um, I think a lot of us are going through an extended grieving period really is what's happening. And so how do we get back? How do we get to the other side of like acceptance and joy? And so it's not really a how-to book, but it does sort of deal with some of those bigger issues. And it talks about the things that I shifted on, which I've spoke about a few of them here. And then, and then, you know, sort of what it looks like to practice that together in, in building a culture of a church that's, that honors those things and honors everyone's like gifts and contributions to mm. it. Yeah. I mean, so, so maybe let, for a minute, let's park on this church idea because I, okay. that was one of the big things early on in my own, whatever you know, journey of disentangling faith, whatever you want to call it, um, of, of really kind of having an awareness of like, Oh, you know, like this, this current evangelical church structure I'm a, I'm a part of maybe isn't the only way to do church. And the story I always tell is that when we were heading to Brussels, Belgium, I was 18, still pretty pretty steeped in my fundamentalism, you know, as a good Christian, listening to Paul Washer sermons. And um, my buddy's like, hey, we're going to this church that meets in bars around the city of Brussels, heads up. And I'm like, oh my God, that that can't happen. I mean, there's alcohol. Uh, how can the church meet where a bar is? That just sounds yeah. so ungodly. And you go and it just changed my perspective. I mean, a, a complete 180 of like, oh my God, like never knew this. And so I'm actually quite passionate about this topic of like rethinking or maybe reimagining what church can be. For you, um, in the book, how do you talk about that? Because you mentioned here, you know, about how during the pandemic, online church wasn't real. You're hearing that. Then you're hearing that, okay, doing church with your family isn't real. For you, where do you kind of land now with like this idea of the ecclesia, the gathering? And, and is it flexible for you now or not so much? So I like to think of it less by form and more by function. Yeah. Um, so like what it, like a church is, as a church does right <laughs> in simple terms. So mm. for me, that's worship, which, you know, is the part that we all normally get behind. Um, another I put as a category of like unity or sort of like fellowship partnership, the kind of being the body supporting one another, um, taking care of one another. So that's sort of like your internal, um, growth mechanism. And then formation, of course, spiritual formation, discipleship, all of those buzzwords. And then <laughs> compassion, which is more of your like external, um, quote unquote, mission, right? Like the way that you are Jesus to the world in all of those ways. And so a church exists if they are doing, and a healthy church exists if they're doing those four things, right? And so maybe that is, I mean, during the pandemic, we were sort of in between churches because we didn't go in person. We had some vulnerable people in our lives. And so whenever people here were ready to go back and be maskless and all of those things, we were like, we can't do that. So we had sort of like our little COVID pod and we met once a week and we, you know, would do our Bible study and then we would um, have a game night. And then, you know, we were always in touch. Like I, 
I call them our chosen family now. They're our best friends. Um, and functionally, they were my church for two years. Mm. And then we, you know, sort of went back and a lot of other things happened. And we um, ended up realizing that maybe we needed to be somewhere else. And so even in that, you know, we were looking for a church not only that we could be ministered to in, but also, you know, give our own gifts and one that was doing all of those things. And so to me, that's more important. Maybe that's two friends who meet together at a coffee shop or a bar and they do that. Um, Maybe it's, you know, a family who do that at home. I think online churches can facilitate that in some ways. Um, And so for me, that's really where I like to focus the conversation. Like church is not a building. It's not an event. Um, It's something that's supposed to take our lives over because in a way, because we are the church. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I could talk about this all day. So, (laughs) but but I think that's where, what we miss. And I, and like you said, I think the evangelical church um, and even a lot of, and I don't think this is limited to evangelicalism. Sure, I think we sure. saw a whole lot of other denominations, right? Like saying things that we sort of now find semi pretty problematic because it leaves out the disabled people who weren't able to come into their doors or all these other things that are, makes people vulnerable. Um, and so you can have all these different dynamics in evangelicalism, especially because it's like a very consumer driven model of church, yes, (laughs) which in a way then wasn't even performing the function of a church necessarily either. And so it really sort of gives me a better filter for looking at churches that I want to be a part of or how I can be church in life or with my friends, um, because I think that's the more important question. It's Jeep 4x4 season. Make your next adventure epic and hurry in now for great deals. And now, well-qualified lessees get a low-mileage lease on the 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe for $389 a month for 24 months with $5,399 due at signing. Tax title license extra. No security deposit required. Call 1-888-925-JEEP for details. Requires dealer contribution, a lease request, or capital. Extra charge for miles over $20,000. Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 531-23. Jeep is a registered trademark. Even long weekends are short, so why spend a second of this one on a drink run? Instead, get drinks delivered right to your door with Drizzly. Drizzly is the easiest way to find the best prices on beer, wine, and spirits, so you can get back to lighting those totally legal fireworks. Download the app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Because the long weekend will be over before this ad is. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. This restaurant is the hottest ticket in town, an incredible 12-course meal made from fresh, locally sourced ingredients. And now for your ninth and final course. Uh, did they forget the last three? When you don't get what you pay for, you can feel a little forgotten. A recent lab study found most top CBD brands contain as little as 60% of what their labels claim. Upgrade your CBD to 100% with Nextevo Naturals. Go to nextevo.com upgrade20. Um, okay. I really agree with you. I mean, the way I, I, I put it as specifically as I can is that we have to move away from an event-centered church model to a community-centered model. You know, I think, yeah. I think that that's one of the biggest differences. And also, let me throw a curveball maybe your way. I am not a fan of online church. Like, let me just say, it. I'll say it right now. I wasn't a fan of it when I was still in evangelical spaces. I wasn't a fan of it when COVID hit because my first thought was, oh my God, because I live in New Jersey. So we had pretty strict, you know, initial shutdown, but it was still like, hey, up to two people who's not your family in your house. And my my first thought was, oh, this is perfect, actually. Now the church can meet in little microgroups in people's houses, share a meal, and actually be together beyond this big evangelical sugar rush on Sunday morning. And instead, my church was like, no, let's just pour a lot of money into our live stream. I'm thinking, well, the problem with church online is that it doesn't allow for participation, only consumption, mm-hmm. right? You, you sit, you're, you're on a TV, it's centered around some music and a sermon. I just don't know how that like fills the function, especially while we're also disconnected of like, hey, your community is here in your head. Just imagine them watching this with you, you know? So I've yeah. never been personally a fan of the online church push. I think that ultimately, and listen, no model is perfect. I mean, I totally acknowledge that, but what is more attractive to me maybe than ever before is this idea of, of small groups of people in their local neighborhoods committed to love of God and love of neighbor in some mm-hmm. kind of community community together. The problem is, is that I have found, I would love your thoughts on this. This is where I'm going for you to kind of chime in here, is this term community. 
I think mm-hmm. a lot of us romanticize it. I think they see it as like altruistic, like, oh, we'll just be in perfect harmony. And then there's no conflict resolution skills built into it. Mm-hmm. So when a conflict does happen or someone inevitably gets on someone else's nerves, the reaction is, oh no, this place isn't perfect. Like, 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 like I thought it was, I have to find a different community. And then you end up having really shallow level relationships. What are your thoughts on, on this you know, term community in these spaces and how are you kind of reimagining it for you? I think that's a great point um, because I'll even say that for me, I I went through a time when I idealized community, especially same, after seeing same. it overseas and seeing how like interconnected and interdependent and um, and all of those things that it was. I really longed for that at home, and I realized that n- nobody else wanted that. <laughs> like <laughs> I was literally the only one. <laughs> <laughs> just at home by yourself you know? with coffee. <laughs> yeah. And I would like really try to like push and be vulnerable in yeah, certain ways. Yeah. And it was just never reciprocated. And yes. I was like, okay. So, um, you know, and some of those attempts fell through and some of them we found. And so I, I, so I will say, I do think we need to guard against that because there is no, because, and I know it's so cliche, but to say that because we're all humans, right? Any, any group that you you bring together is going to be made of humans that are imperfect and that are going to mess up um, and that are not going to be able to support you in all the ways that you want, but they can want to or they can try. And I think that's sort of where you where we sort of find ourselves a lot of times. And so yes. I definitely want to keep ourselves from idealizing something that is just not possible. But I also think the other thing that you were talking about is Um, And one thing I write about my book is sort of like what it means to be a disciple. And I think we think of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Yes. But I like to add a third dimension, which is orthopathy. Oh, which is like orthopathy, right? Which is, which is more like right becoming. How do we become the right people? How do we develop those skills, right? Like, and that's sort of what I would put like the fruit of the spirit in, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, like all of that is right becoming of person. The problem is a lot of that comes about through things that are, that are friction, right? Through conflict. And so part of that is learning and gaining those skills. And I think that's something that churches need to be doing, um, to develop, you know, humans that work well with other humans and that can connect with other humans and that can then be healthy and whole. Um, and that's sort of like, my definition of holiness now is wholeness. It's this like reintegration of everything mm. to become more like Christ as much as I can until, <laughs> until it happens. But, um, and so I think that's definitely a huge misdimension. So we just sort of like throw people into groups, assuming that they'll be able to figure it out. We don't actually give anybody tools for that. And so how can we create like emotionally healthy people? How do we sort of focus on, giving them tools for a conflict and conversation. Um, and I think that's something that we definitely need to do in churches. So I'm with you there all the way. Say that Say that third one again. Because, okay, orthodoxy, <laughs> orthopraxy, and what's the third one? So it's spelled orthopathy, right? But it's, a, you would say it orthopathy, orthopathy. If you're like, I don't know. I just here. love so that. So you can do ortho- orthopathy, yeah. It's like going from 2D to 3D. Because I've often thought about the, the orthopraxy versus orthodoxy. You know, really integration is what they should be in, mm-hmm. in, in a perfect world. But I love this idea of becoming. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. just like, okay, how are we becoming, you know, the more and more or embodying, you know, the fruits of the spirit. I think that that's a really important third element that maybe we unintentionally just miss. And I, I do really agree with you with the with with these communities that, that we try and build because and I really wonder like how much of this comes from our own just cultural notion of like perfection and and even this mega church culture of like everything is always perfect on stage, everyone's together, the pastors can't be, pastors can't tell you who they really are. Because when we do that, I think we create like these these false identities of each other, almost like what social media does, right, Kate? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure you know that there are, might be people who are like, oh, I think I know you because of social media. And it's like, well, listen, I am as genuine as I can be on social media, but it's not my whole life. It's just not. Yeah. And then it's only a matter of time. Like I, I tell people, you know, Kate, if you and I were hanging out for a week in, in, in an Airbnb, we're going to get on each other's ner- nerves at some point. You know, someone won't do the dishes the right way or whatever. And it's going to be it's gonna be a, a pain point. So yeah. that's inevitable. The question is, how do we work through conflict to shape us into better humans instead of like making us more at odds with each other. And I think 
at least in my tradition, my evangelical heritage didn't really give me those tools because the version of community I was offered was you're just perfect and you don't really, you always have this wallop. You can only yeah. be more vulnerable, you know, like, okay, we, we accept these vulnerabilities of like your struggle with, I don't know, lust or doubt or whatever it is. Yeah. But these other things like, hey, I'm kind of an egomaniac sometimes. You can't say that and you can't be honest about it, right? For right. example. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so not that anyone's uh, called me an egomaniac. Yeah, right, or anything. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, no one has. Unless, unless it, maybe someone on Twitter has. I don't know. We we have <laughs> yeah, been called the Satan evangelicals. So that oh, that's nice. Fine. Yeah, I've added that one to my my, my long list of you know um, you know just I guess attacks. But it's all good. I'm just persecuted for my faith here in America. Yeah, exactly. Um. So <laughs> so okay. So the let's get back to more a little more to the book. So how do you communicate to people who are like? Man, Kate, this is me. I just feel like I'm trying to disentangle so much. Maybe I'm new to this this work of just realizing, like, wow, there's a, there's a lot of these ingredients kind of baked in. It's a, a spaghetti bowl. How do you offer people ways to start disentangling their faith from like their cultural context, perhaps? Yeah. So a lot of what I do in the book is sort of doing it by example. So I take sort of in every chapter, I tried to do a tangle, a truth, and a takeaway. Mm-hmm. So. What is the tangle? Um, and so that might be, for example, that the kingdom of God is like an earthly power structure that I'm supposed to, you know, inhabit. The the and then the disentangling of that to find the truth is that I had to like sort through like where did this idea even come from? What does the Bible say about you know what the kingdom of God is? And so you know we look then at the parables about the kingdom of God that Jesus told and really find that it's about a kingdom of goodness, right? That we bring this like good, holy, just things. And so that's the truth. And then the takeaway is how do we live into that by living into, you know, by standing and working for good, holy, and just things. And so that's kind of what I wanted to do. It's less like, here's how to disentangle. Cause I think that's going to be different than everyone. I'd rather yeah. like show people tools that I use, which are obviously scripture, um, history. Um, cause I talk a lot about, I have a whole chapter about the Bible. And so where did this whole like idea of reading it literally come from and some of those things. And then just like many other traditions or ancient writings, you know, from our faith, like older early church stuff. And so really just kind of like expanding. Cause I think that's another thing about evangelicalism is because it is so consumeristic, right? There's like an, it's like a niche market. Yeah. Um, when really like, and it convinced me for a long time that it was the only way yes. to be a Christian. And so when you start sort of like understanding that there are a whole bunch of different ways to be Christian, um, you know, that are, that would be quote unquote earth orthodox. If that's like a thing that's important to you, then you sort of like are able then to look outside of your tradition and look outside of your, you know, experience to encur- to encounter other people and other things. And so, it's sort of a combination of my experiences from overseas and their stories and how they got me thinking, but then also all these other tools that I just sort of like put in use to help people see how one might sort of do this while also helping to disentangle some of those things that a lot of us are are caught up on now. Yeah, I mean, I think about one of the biggest ones is definitely the politics. You know, I think we just have to call it what it is because a lot of us grew up in this world, right? Of like, hey, um, I mean, at least I did. And I, I live in New Jersey, so which is still a pretty liberal state, but I was in this bubble of, hey, like good Christians vote Republican every single time, mm-hmm. no questions asked. You know, Democrats want to destroy America and the Christian faith, and Republicans want to save it. And I think a lot of people now who I engage with are trying to navigate like this path forward because, and I would love your thoughts on this. You know, I, I am more careful these days to make the gospel about just some kind of spiritual reality. Cause I think that in the world of the Bible and in, re- in, in, in our life, like spiritual and physical are kind of intertwined mm-hmm. and, and how we, how we advocate for policies and laws in our own cultural moment politically, I think is part of how we love our neighbor. Um, at the mm-hmm. same time, we also live in this dichotomy of if you, if I told someone, yeah, I care about the planet and I care about, um, I don't know, um, rights for other people outside of the Christian tradition, they'd probably just label me liberal. Like, it all, mm-hmm. and therefore, I am all these other things as well. Like, I just am. And it can be tough because to push against one thing can put you in that camp. But at the same time, you know, I want to be as Jesus centric in my in my orthopraxy that is mm-hmm. advocating love for neighbor. How do you kind of navigate a very complicated tension of like, well, 
you know, this Christian nationalist stuff is really problematic. Um, but also like my allegiance is not to Joe Biden. You know, like, like, like there's no flag of Joe Biden on my front lawn just because maybe I voted for him. I did, you know, personally because I thought he was a better option than what we had with Trump. So how do you navigate some of that stuff? I mean, not perfectly, often badly. Um, I still have a little bit of a root of fundamentalism in me that's that just wants to make everything really clear and come down really strong. And and I think um, for me now, it's been more about a lot of those sort of values that you were talking about, right? Like, how do I love neighbor? How, how do I love God by loving my neighbor totally. through the way that I use things, but through the way that I operate, you know, in my politics? And a lot of that is like a being okay with the labels that people put on me because I can't control what they think of me. I can't control their perceptions. I can only control, you know, how I show up and how I handle those conversations and B being willing to just sort of like say, yeah, I don't love abortion, but also I think that it affects a whole bunch of people in this way and that it happens because of all these other things and that actually it might be better solved through these other things, right? By actually taking care of these people, the segment of society in which it is most affected. Um, and so it's sort of like trying to hold that tension of both and, but um, which, but without trying to like just be sort of like a centrist moderate because I don't think that's it either, yes, right? Because yes. it's not like, well, everybody's a little bit right. Like, <laughs> sure, but how do we actually work that out actually requires deciding some things. Yes. And so I would say like in some, in a lot of ways, I'm still like ideologically conservative, but like, um, yeah, like, but the way that I choose to solve those problems looks liberal. <laughs> and so like, it's one of, it's weird that way, which then makes me an ideological liberal because, but the way I would communicate about some of those things is different. And so it's really just like, it's hard and it is, you know, it is untidy. And it means that I have to be curious and humble in conversations. And I have to like, be willing to talk with people through things calmly. Like I have to like regulate my own nervous system when things happen and then be able to talk with people um, yes. so that they understand the outworking. Right. And a lot of them do just like shut down and they call me a heretic or call me a baby killer or call me whatever and like walk away. That's part of life now. Um, yes. But it doesn't mean but I don't have to believe that about myself because someone else does that either, right? Like, because I I know that I'm trying to work out my faith as best I can. I'm doing my best to be faithful and I have to try to be okay with that and keep walking that out. And so it does get complicated because there's, I, I live in Texas, so there's a whole lot of people who don't agree with me around me all the time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> my, no A doubt. lot of my family included, and it's been... Um, you know, really tricky, especially, especially in COVID time. And so, um, yeah, so I think there's a certain element of just sort of like accepting that people aren't going to understand, but you can do the best that you can and just being willing to like hold that tension and meet them right where you agree, but also explain why you disagree. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure my parents think I'm a heretic destined for hell. Um, we get along; they're <laughs> we're, they're great people. They're they're wonderful yeah. grandparents. But like I, on this level, we just they don't really know what I do. I don't, I don't think that I don't think they want to know what I do. And honestly, I don't want to have that conversation because it's yeah. just not my place. <laughs> not <ready>. You know, <laughs> um, one th this actually brings up an interesting point that I, I wanted to bring up to you that that you use this term "messy middle Christians," mm -hmm. and. You know, when I hear the word middle because of my own cultural baggage, I do hear moderate, right? I hear, okay, is this like sure. a in between, like, well, you know, hey, Tim, both sides, you know, like it's, it's that kind of vibe. And then I think about, like, like you said, I, I don't like the idea of being a moderate, whatever. I, I don't think, you know, it, it, it wasn't helpful with Martin Luther King Jr., right? Cause he really critiques the, 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 the white evangelical yeah. moderate. And I want to be on a path being a part of the work of liberation and thinking about ways of helping my neighbor and also doing my own decolonization, my own liberative work. So for you, what is messy middle? What does that actually mean in, 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 in the way that you, that you use the term? Yeah. So it's not really political. I mean, I think everything to a degree is political sure. because it has to do with our life with people. So right. that aside, it's not really about, it's more about like where we are in our, in our Christian journey, right? That we 
have some boundaries around what we believe and who we're committed to as far as like following Jesus, but that that we don't necessarily fit a particular box that we can find of what that looks like right now. Um, It means that we believe in the gospel and justice. It's more of a both and again, right? Like that we can have faith in God and still have doubt Um, that we believe God with our heads, but also are trying to figure out what that looks like in our hearts and in our hands, you know, and, um, and what that looks like to pursue that, to love God, love neighbor together as a community as well. So it's, it's more about being able to sit in the mess and know that you have a few core commitments and willing to work out all the other stuff, but you're still sort of like in the middle of the mess of figuring out what that looks like for you. And, but still trying to move forward, even if it's an inch at a time. That makes sense. All right, let's get to a few hot takes. This is always fun to do. Okay. Um, <laughs> do you, th- what are your thoughts on the statement? Do you think the evangelical church, broadly speaking, and the institutions can really be saved at this point in America? Oh, I go back and forth, back and forth on this one yeah. a lot. Um, I mean, these days, I I lean toward no as an institution. Um, I absolutely know some incredible evangelical people, and I know that they are doing the best that they can. Yeah. Um, but having come from a very evangelical place with very committed and faithful and people willing to walk through some of these hard things in leadership and not being able to change the culture of that church to the degree that we felt we didn't belong there anymore. Um, like I just, if it couldn't happen at that level and in a church of, you know, three, 400 people, then I'm not sure that it can happen on a bigger level unless there is a radical shift, but it has to happen all at the same time. But even then it's like, at that point you burned it down and started over anyway. (laughs) So, you you know, (laughs) took the words right out of my mouth, frankly. Um, have you experienced this, um, I guess for lack of a better word, like this Trumpism explosion in your own circles and church culture. Cause I certainly did, you know, where I exist in New Jersey, I can only imagine in Texas. And if you did, what was that like, you know, seeing it kind of like come over like a wave and how did you feel watching it kind of all happen in front of you? Well, a lot of things. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely experienced it. Yeah. I would say a lot of people in my family are Trumpers, our next door neighbors are Trumpers, um, to a QAnon degree. Um, it like, it is literally all around me and, um, it didn't affect me as much personally because we already had been sort of voting liberal for a long time. Um, but there sort of came a point when that sort of like, when people that we knew recognized that that's what (laughs) we were yeah. Yep. <laughs> like there was a woman I I used to work with the youth group and so I you know mentored her daughter in this group from fifth through eighth grade wow and the day she found out that we voted democrat and we're not trump fans like all the I like was in a conversation with her and you could just see like the respect level like drain. You know what I mean? Yes. And so it's a lot like it's a lot like that yeah. a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> um or and yeah, I mean it's just very it's very intense. It's very sad and hard because it also led to um to frankly, a lot of death near me, um, because of a lot of those things. And, um, I mean, I've, I've had people close to me die from COVID and die in shootings here. And so it's like to sort of have that and have these sort of, um, stances around me all the time is like, it's also very frustrating and very sad and complicated because you also love these people and you're trying to understand how this happened. Um, and so, yeah, it just becomes very messy and complicated and, and it still is, I mean, it hasn't been resolved. I think, um, some people have sort of like backed away a little bit, but, um, yeah, a lot of people have doubled down and that's been really hard. How do you how do you love that neighbor? I struggle with this. We have a, a pretty 
um, strict policy of non-dehumanization on our platform, you know, even yeah. people that we find really problematic. Um, I have some friends like that in my own life, um, you know, et cetera. Um, how do you, you know, I, I, I'm not sure balance is the right word, but how, how do you navigate, right? This one side of just like anger, which is so valid. I mean, we see the mm-hmm. results of, of this ideology time and time again, but also realizing that, that these people who carry that ideology are made in the Imago Dei and are yeah. fully human, just like you. Um, well, the first thing is actually like loving myself (laughs) in the sense of like being willing to in, when I am in those vulnerable times of grief or anger to take that time to care for myself through those rather than seeking to push those out on everyone or, um, or even engaging in some ways in those very specific times because, I would not be a loving person in doing that. Um, and I, and it wouldn't be healthy for me to do that either. And so I think that's kind of first is just a lot of self-awareness and a lot of like inner work. (laughs) And, um, and then I think it is, it's mostly keeping the lines of communication open. It is, um, paying attention and being aware of their needs and being willing to help take care of those, Um, without there being sort of this, because I think a lot of times we, we've sort of like looked at the tendency in evangelicalism to be like, yeah, you can come, you know, have dinner if you just listen to my gospel presentation. (laughs) Well, sometimes we do sort of the same thing. Like, yeah, I'll do this for you if you agree with everything I say. And that's not right either, I don't think. Mm -hmm. And so how do I, I, so I just try to sort of like, I think a lot of love starts with paying attention. And so just being attentive to the person, being attentive to what they're saying and asking questions about what that means um, rather than making assumptions. And then just like trying to be generous and charitable, even when it doesn't feel that way, like, or even when I don't feel like being that and but without, but I think you can do that without compromising who you are and what you stand for. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's how, where it starts. You just kind of like keep being the same person (laughs) and, and, and that's all there is to it. I don't think it has to be that complicated. It is hard, no doubt. And I've had to work on like not numbing myself to the point of like falling away from everyone and everything. And just like, because that's easier, it's definitely easier, but I can't affect or help or love anyone with whom I refuse to be near. And I think I have to be near them. Yeah. I really, I struggle with this when it comes to the systems and, and media figures that, that these folks listen to and who they platform, who really make a lot of money off of dehumanizing uh, marginalized groups already. Like recently Candace Owens made a comment calling the trans community demonic and said that, that, that she's never met a nice trans person and that they're all narcissists and that Mm -hmm. they should just not really exist. And I'm just like, you know, this is where I get like really fired up and I struggle not dehumanizing because I know that, that there are pastors who I know who listen to her. I know that, 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 that her audience is not largely atheists or Hindus or Muslims. Yeah. They are evangelical Christians who eat this up and go, yeah, like they're just demonic for what they're trying to do. And, and when I see that level of harm committed towards people groups who are just trying to survive in America and have to deal with like this, this ridiculousness, it really, it, it's for me where rubber meets the road of like, okay, is this ethic of non-dehumanization radical for me or are there exceptions? And I think once I make the Mm -hmm. exception, that puts me on a path that ultimately fleshed out becomes Candace Owens. And then that ultimately leads to violence, you know, but it's tough because I I get, especially being in, in the spaces that I am with our community, knowing that, that Candace's rhetoric will only embolden a Christian base to continue spewing the venom that so many people in our circles are trying to hide from. I almost feel like a sense of injustice. Like I have to fight fire with fire, but I don't know if ultimately that solves the problem that we're trying to solve. Yeah. I mean, it's tricky. I think, I think sometimes 
you know, to be trite, we have to like be the change, right? Like, what does it look like then? If that's not what we want, what does it look like to hold our ethic and to push for what we want and what we need and what we believe makes the world better? I mean, and this is the story of Christianity, right? It wasn't like they went out there and, you know, did a lot of like discourse against everything that was happening in the world. They just lived a different way. And so if enough of us live a different way, it's slow and that's the sucky part, which means we have to live through all that and we have to deal with it. And, um, but I think that is the challenge, right? Like how do you love the people who are, are killing the ones that you love? And it's just that you keep living a different way and you keep letting yourself be near and open to the possibility that, you know, I, I don't discount, God's justice and his wrath at injustice. But, um, and I don't really like the word wrath, but I, but even James Cone talks about this and, you know, black theology of liberation, right? Like the, the wrath and the love of God have to be in tandem because the righteousness and justice of God are in tandem. Right. Right. And so we have to like hold these things. Um, so I think it's about embodying and empowering other people to embody this. So it doesn't mean that we can't, obviously we should be speaking about all those other things and we should be caring for the people who are in the path of all of that. Yes, yes. But I also need to be living the way that I want the rest of the world to live. And my hope is that if enough of us do that, people realize that it's better and that we all come together and, well, we won't ever all come together, but that enough people come together that that we're actually making the difference that we want to make. Um, Because otherwise we're just sort of, fueling each other's anger at each other and that doesn't necessarily accomplish what we're actually here to try to do right yes yes i mean we can unintentionally repeat the cycle of chaos that we're all trying to stop frankly you know Mm -hmm. well kate listen i really appreciate you making time and coming on the book is in in untidy faith journeying back to the joy of following jesus where can folks find you i mean you have a pretty great website are you on social media do you do other stuff like plug all of your avenues Yeah. So my website is kateboy.co. You can find everything there. Um, Instagram is probably where I'm most active at kateboy.co. I'm on Twitter for as long as Twitter exists um, (laughs) at at the Kate Boyd. Um, And those are the main places. I have a podcast called Happy and Holy where some friends and I go through chapters of scripture and we're going through first and second first Samuel right now. And so there's a lot of, a lot of interesting conversation around some of the Bible stories there. Um, And that, you know, touch on a lot of things that we're seeing today. And so, yeah, that's where you can find me. And then my book, you can find it at anuntidyfaith.com. You can find all the information and ordering and all that cool stuff. Awesome. Well, Kate, again, thank you for your book and for your work. And thanks for making time and coming on the podcast. I really, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that. As a major research institution, Arizona State University offers the most online bachelor's degree programs, along with world-class faculty and dedicated support. Discover why ASU is ranked number one in innovation for nine consecutive years. Tap to learn more.